Today's show is brought to you by Jubilee Hall Gym, Covent Garden. Need an effective workout using state-of-the-art equipment in the heart of London's West End? Then visit Jubilee Hall Gym on the corner of Covent Garden, where you can also check out the gym sauna, as well as a whole host of great fitness classes. Join online for £53 a month, and there is no need for a minimum term contract when joining. Or you can use the gym on a day pass basis. Find out more at jubileehallgym.co.uk or telephone 020-7836-4007 to work out at Jubilee Hall Gym, Covent Garden. Hello everybody, and welcome once again to Two Guys on Fitness, the podcast which is all about health, fitness, exercise and diet, coming to you from London, England, with myself, Alan Teresa. I'm a kind of average Joe, where gyms are concerned, and with my good friend here and co-podcast host, Julian Berthrat, the personal trainer on the Two Guys on Fitness podcast. Hello, Julian. How are you doing, Mr. Professional Gym Guy, personal trainer? Yeah, I'm okay. It's, um, we're entering summertime, okay? The weather is getting better, uh, the flowers are out, and it's, um, and also likely business-wise, people are more willing to work out when it's uh, nice and hotter than, you know, three months ago. So it's, uh, now I'm looking forward, I'm quite fresh for this important period and uh, and I hope you are too, Alan. I most certainly am. This is a lovely time of year, that is true. The sun is shining, people are uh, enjoying themselves, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think a lot of people are either heading off for a summer break, or they're about to, or they're looking forward to later in the summer. So you are indeed correct, I think. It is a lovely time of the year. Now, uh, you may be wondering why the uh, podcast isn't coming from Jubilee Hall Gym, which it usually is. And that is because, uh, funnily enough, we had a bit of a conversation uh, after recording the last episode about how noisy sometimes it can be at the gym. And we decided to return to the format we used to use for a short while, which is where we sit down in the studio and we record the podcast and we don't have to listen to the weights being banged about uh, and all the general noise you get in the background. And I think in the last episode, it was a little bit noisy. So here we are, me and Judy, we're kind of sitting in this kind of like very uh, warm little uh, room right now, which is a funny little thing, uh, not unlike the uh, sauna back at the gym. So Julian, what are we talking about this month and why? This month we are looking at women, bodybuilding and fitness competition. That is right. Now here's a funny thing. Uh, In all of the months that we've been doing the uh, podcast, we have focused quite a lot on the experience of men uh, as they exercise, why they exercise and what they do in the gym. And we've also actually shone a light on uh, men who uh, compete in various fitness competitions. So we thought it would be a good idea to actually look at the female perspective for once and the experience of a woman who indeed uh, is training for a fitness competition. I believe it's called a bikini uh, competition, I think. I might be wrong about that. Uh, And we're going to look at what that involves, what the issues are, and what hopefully uh, the woman concerned, who we're going to get to in a second, and what the reality is if you go into that competition. So who have you spoken to, Julian? Uh, I did spoke to Olivia Trump, and she's preparing a competition uh, in September this year, and uh, she's obviously very excited, and she spoke about it in good words, and it was very interesting to listen to her, and also because that's her first competition, so 
so uh, she was she talked about like uh, the apprehension uh, also the difference between women and men competition and the different categories etc in uh, in the bodybuilding fitness competition so it's quite it's quite interesting uh, it was for me who is not uh, from the fitness world more like a rugby world really and it was quite appealing to me yes it is a very interesting interview i mean i we tend to say that all the time of course when people are good enough to speak to us and uh, tell us about their world and their experience but um, this is actually uh, a very informative uh, and very interesting interview and olivia has quite a lot to say so if you are in the position where you might be considering taking part in such a competition whether you're male or female really actually uh, because although some of the details are different the principles are also the same in certain ways olivia has something to say which we think you will find interesting so should we play the interview and then have a chat after olivia has uh, told us what she knows yes please hi everyone i'm uh, with olivia trump so who is olivia Um, Olivia is a 26-year-old. Um, I've done a lot of kind of sporting stuff my whole life, so I think moving into kind of fitness was a very natural progression for me to take. Um, started doing sports kind of when I did tots gymnastics from like two, um, followed my sister into that, and then kind of just naturally progressed through loads of different sports as I got older. So moving into the gym and fitness was a very easy decision to make and it was something I think that I'd set on when I was probably about 11 or 12 I was like yep I'm gonna work in a gym I'm gonna own my own gym it's that's gonna be my thing um is it uh, something in England to people try different things uh when they go for their teenage uh, life like you different sport yeah yeah so when I was at primary school kind of your core PE you dabble in lots of different things so I kind of tried football and netball and gymnastics and lots of other different things and then as I got older I kind of to get started to get a bit more specific into the things that I really enjoyed so even though I had my core PE within school I then started extracurricular clubs so I took up gymnastics I specialized more in horse riding I went into netball and kind of really put a lot of effort all the way up until I was about 18 into netball so trying to get into national teams and stuff like that and it didn't necessarily work out but it was all great experience for me and having that performance side of why are you fit why do you train why are you in the gym um it's always very much for me been about performance and having an end goal it's not necessarily just been about the way that you look. Yeah, that's a, a good spirit. Otherwise, it can be a little bit, uh, get crazy if you just think about your appearance all the time. And you, uh, as you say, is not necessarily about the result, it's just the experience as well. So I think it was important to be said. How long have you been working at Jubilee Hall? So I started at Jubilee Hall just over three years ago, um, came over here from David Lloyd. So it's just my second job from graduating from uni. I am the fitness and sales manager. Um, so I started as just fitness and working with the PTs, group exercise and the fitness team. And then last year when our sales manager left, I stepped up into that position and took that role on as well. So you're going to compete in a fitness competition uh, soon? Yeah, so September will be my first fitness comp. For people who, like me, are a bit newbie about fitness competition, 
uh, tell me more about uh, uh, what category, which category? So there's lots of different federations that you can compete in. So I'm doing a bikini competition. Um, so it's about physique and having symmetry and balance within your musculature and your physique. Um, so I'm doing a bikini and I'm in the tall category because I'm over five foot five. They don't do it based on weight category. So I could step on stage and be heavier than someone, but because we're in the same height category. So they don't do it based on weight, they do it based on, on your height. So now tell us more about your training. How do you prepare yourself for that competition? So I started with a coach in at the end of January. Um, I'd not long finished my own kind of dieting phase from trying to lose a bit of weight from lockdown. Um, so for me, there was a big shift in mindset and I decided to start with a coach. And what we've been doing for sort of the last 12 weeks is upping my calories, um, trying to increase my weight a little bit, decrease my output so that I'm on as much food as possible and as little exercise as possible without having any unnecessary weight gain. So just trying to see if we can build up areas of muscle that I might be lacking in um, that we need for competition. And now we've just gone into our cutting phase. So we should slowly decrease in calories and adding cardio into my workouts. A question for... For myself, for myself, obviously, I'm a personal trainer. Do you think in the future you're going to use this expand because you you have goals at the moment? Do you does you think this expanse now you are living in can prepare you properly to be a personal trainer? I definitely think it's something that's helped me. I've learned a lot since I've been with my coach. Um, it's a very different type of training than I'm used to, which I've really enjoyed. It's been nice to do something slightly different. I think that. If it was just about just wanting to lose weight, um, I would train in the way that I had been training. I didn't, wouldn't necessarily follow a really set structured program, whereas now I'm kind of following a very structured training program that has to have progression in the weight or the rep range each week. And it's a very different style of training than what I would usually do. There's a lot less volume, um, a lot less exercises, but I'm really enjoying it. I do think it's going to help in terms of my knowledge when it comes to training looking at different areas how do you eat and drink so regarding this uh, competition coming up so at the moment i'm i've been put into a slight deficit with my diet so my coach rosie gives me my total calories for training days and rest days i have slightly separate so training days are slightly higher um, and she also sets me on my training days slightly more carbs um, and then my fats and my proteins are set for me rest days I'll tend to have slightly less carbs and higher fats and proteins um, even though I'm on less calories so she's just trying to make sure I hit my protein goal um, for the day so that's using meats eggs um, and supplements if I need to um, and then other than that it's kind of playing around with fats and carbs to make sure that I'm getting the most out of my diet um, yeah I saw uh, some of this uh, uh food preparation on your social media. Could you remind everybody your social media? So my Instagram is at liveconstance underscore. And you mentioned your coach, uh, Rosie? Yes, yeah, so if you go onto my Instagram, I've tagged her in most of my recent posts, so it's Rosie Bikini Coaching. What are you aiming uh, to achieve with the competition? So I'm quite a naturally competitive person, so I think when I went into this, some people kind of said, oh, are you just doing it for the experience? Are you doing it for fun? And yes, I do want to enjoy it, but I think that natural competitiveness, like I do want to win. I am there to be the best version of myself when I step on that stage. And in terms of like where I want to take it, I haven't decided yet. Like there is the possibility of carrying on for another season and just kind of 
building on what we do within this season, um, especially once we get feedback from the judges, depending on where I place, if I'm in the right category, whether I need to move into something else. Um, but I definitely would like to see where I can take this in terms of making a career out of it, whether it's a career as a bodybuilder or taking the knowledge that I learn over this competitive season and using that within my own business. So is maybe a, a taboo question is um, you talk about clients. So financially speaking, is it possible to make money out of this competition or in, in the future? I definitely think as you, I mean, I know of various bodybuilders that do make money out of competitions. There are higher up in the, like the more pro leagues, you, the, their cash prizes. So you do win money from it. I mean, it's, it's an expensive sport to take part in. Um, so whether you make any kind of profitable financial gain, I'm not sure, but um, there's definitely the possibility of kind of obviously sponsorship from different companies and lots of, kind of progress in that sort of area so there is a lot to gain from being on that sort of circuit how regular are those competitions uh, they happen all the time so there's kind of the first competitions i think started probably about two months ago and then they run all the way up through to sort of november time tends to be the last so you have through sort of november to about march is kind of the off season where there aren't really any competitions Um, that tends to be a lot of people's off seasons where they're growing muscle, they're putting on weight, they're upping their calories, and then they obviously come back into the competitive circuit when the season starts. Um, but yeah, you tend to see a lot of the same sorts of faces. So if someone does want to take it seriously, you start to hear them about them a bit more on social media and you'll see them. I mean, one of the ladies I follow, Phoebe Hagen, is is very well known and she has made an incredible career out of bodybuilding and is is a fantastic competitor. But yeah, you tend to see people once they take it to that step, like that is that is their career now until they're no longer able to compete on a circuit or they're older and newer faces start to come in and kind of filter them out um, but yeah you very much do kind of start to see the same faces on a competitive circuit it's a nice um, uh, friendship with people along the years and uh, uh, we mentioned getting older I heard I think there is category for people over 60 or something like that yeah yeah so they've the last few years they've definitely broadened their category so now they have kind of seniors they also have juniors so people as young as sort of 17 18 can compete which is a whole i suppose whole nother ball game of whether you think that's a healthy place to take it at that age but yeah it's it's crazy i think how much interest and how diverse the people that are interested in bodybuilding has become over sort of the last couple of years i think it's it's really great to see that you've got older categories for people you've also got categories for women who have had children so it's specifically for those who are postpartum and have kids yeah i i remember the again it's not my my field but i uh, i do watch documentary about bodybuilding and things like that and uh, i remember like the beginning with arnold schwarzenegger and so i don't know we can talk about About 30, 40 years ago, to now, it's uh, how do you say it's been? Uh, it's like a democratization of these uh, bodybuilding things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what is the difference between the male fitness competition and the female fitness competition? Um, I think the female fitness competitions, and this might just be like an opinion-based thing, but I think female fitness competitions are just as much about kind of beauty and your representation of yourself and your elegance because you've got the hair, the makeup. Um, I think male physique competitions are a lot more about kind of physique and their performance. Um, whereas, yeah, I think the female industry is a little bit more about kind of how you look. Um, dare I say, I think if you're 
not necessarily younger, but if you're more attractive in terms of how your face looks and I think you do better in terms of bodybuilding in the female industry than if if you're male, you don't necessarily have to be deemed as like socially attractive to be a very good bodybuilder. Whereas I think on the female circuit, it definitely helps to have that kind of feminine beauty and that edge in terms of your competition. I think I can agree when I watch a picture of the man and the female, I think the, the female competition bring a bit of uh, glamour things, you know. <laughs> From your experience, <laughs> what should they avoid doing? Um, I definitely think if you are looking to compete, Once you sign up with your coach, um, one, be honest, don't lie to them. Um, if you have a wobbly day, if you have an off-plan meal when you shouldn't have had an off-plan meal, um, don't think oh, I can get away with it. Just be be honest with them because at the end of the day, the more honest you are with your coach, the, the better you get along. Um, they can really monitor and kind of look at your diet and your training and make sure that they're giving you exactly what you need. The other thing I would say is in terms of listening to your coach, um, everyone knows that, that there are opinions. People that have never competed or have never even looked at bodybuilding will have an opinion about your training, your diet. Just stick to your guns, listen to your coach, speak to your coach um, and try not to listen too much to other people's opinions. It's a very lonely sport um, as much as the community is amazing and there's a great group of people that will bolster you up and they will push you on. I think it's a very lonely sport in terms of you tend to eat a lot alone because you can't go out and do things with people. Um, you train by yourself because unless your friend wants to follow the same training program as you do mm. and they want to be really serious about their training, then you tend to do a lot of sessions on your own. So I think it's important to understand really what you're going into and make sure that mentally you're in the right place to go into something that is very independent um, and that people will have strong opinions about. Do you have to make any sacrifice or and, uh, how does competing impact on your personal life and relationship? Um, this is a really interesting one. I think... Um, Sacrifices, yes. I think in any sport, if you decide to take it to a level where you are competing, I think there's sacrifices that you make. In terms of bodybuilding, it's it very much has a big impact in terms of your social life. If you're someone that likes to go out, that likes to eat in restaurants, that likes to drink, um, all of those sorts of things, I think, don't necessarily sacrifice but especially once you go into prep it is your food is strict your water intake is strict your alcohol intake is non-existent pretty much um so it can affect kind of if people in your life aren't supportive of the decision you've made and they're not understanding of the fact that actually no i can't come out this weekend and do that thing um it can have an effect on on your relationships and friendships and and don't get me wrong i've got friends that don't agree necessarily with bodybuilding and the entire bodybuilding world and how it's run and what it represents. Um, but they have been really supportive of me as an individual that that is my choice. Um, and I think that their kind of backlash on my decision came more from a place of worrying about me rather than being like, well, I don't think you should do that. I think it was, it's a place of, we don't want you to end up mentally in a place that makes you unwell. Um, and I think now that they've realized, actually, I'm in a really good place mentally and this is one of the best things that I've done in a really long time. And the reason I've made the decision to step on stage was finally just about me rather than about it being about anyone else. Um, but I do think you have to kind of be ready to understand that not everyone in your life will understand your choice to compete, um, especially if it's not something they'd ever consider doing. But um, don't be afraid to kind of 
if you need to move away from those people, then that's the choice that you make between a friendship or a relationship you might have or that thing that you're really set on doing. If they don't support your decision, then like that is potentially the sacrifice you're going to have to make. Yes, it's uh, we only challenge anyway in our life, otherwise life is boring, right? So I heard sometimes that the after competition, because I get that it's uh, excited over a few weeks, months to get ready for the competition. Then what happens when the competition is over? Is there a little blue moment? or? Yeah, I think I follow a few girls on social media that it's been really helpful, actually. It was their first season. Um, it had Laura Tippett Bussey, who was a first timer with PCA a couple of months ago. And she had an incredible first season. She competed at a couple of shows back to back. And it's been great following her on social media because she's been so honest about her post-show experience. So she has struggled with the weight gain, um, which she said is not something that she ever worried about before. Um, but she said, when you take yourself to that level of leanness and looking like a certain way, I think she said it's very hard to then look at yourself and not be able to see your abs and not be stage ready. But she's very much been honest about her journey on social media and shared that with everyone. And I think that is something that's so important in terms of if you're going to step into this world, if you're going to make that decision to compete, you need to know the whole picture. It's not just the glitz and the glam of stepping on stage. It's the early mornings, the late nights, the hours of cardio, the the time that you spend in the gym training, even the time you spend making sure that you're recovering properly, because I think that's something that people don't think about. It's you can't be go, go, go all the time. You also need to make sure you've got the time to step back and, and relax. And I think post-show, you have such a high when it comes to show day. Even if you don't win anything, it must be such, it's such a buzz and you have that exhilaration of stepping on stage and you've worked all these months for that one day. And then once it's gone, it's kind of like, oh, well, now what do I do? Do I have purpose? Do I have a plan in place? So yeah, I think post-show is just as important as everything you do leading up to your competition. So I think if I had any advice for anyone, make sure you get on with your coach. Um, make sure you can be honest. Make sure you're on the same page about what you want from competing and that when you're done, you get straight back on the plan of, right, are we going back for another competitive season? Are we just going to reverse diet to get you back up to a good maintenance weight and then send you on your merry way? So yeah, just to have a plan. Don't don't do anything without having a plan because that's where people tend to go wrong. Yeah, I like this idea of having a plan because there is definitely two kind of people in the world, people without a plan and people with a plan. So that's uh, a very good words. What would you be your advice for women starting out on the competition circuit? Do your research, um, find a coach that you get on with and make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Do it for you and for nobody else because if you step on that stage and you're doing it for anyone but you, um, if you don't win or you don't go home with the best result that you possibly can, I think it will, it's super easy for you to leave disappointed and you don't want to put all that work in to not enjoy your final show day. So, yeah. That's very well put. And I'm, and I'm sure we could have another interview in a few years' time, if we are both around, to see where is Olivia in a few years' time as well. But thank you very much for your interview. It was very uh, interesting. And see you around on the gym floor. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So that's Olivia Trump there talking to Julian about her training and what she hopes to achieve uh, in the competition that she's focusing on coming up in the months ahead. So uh, first of all, I just want to ask about this principle about bodybuilding. We've touched upon this ourselves 
in the past. Why do you think bodybuilding is becoming so popular both for men and women? Well, I think in the 70s, 80s with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, it was like um, the beginning of this bodybuilding uh, thing. And it's, uh, it was very much like a, a niche, uh, I would say. And uh, and then uh, I think over the the past uh, three four decade, I think the uh, the thing is bodybuilding was quite implanted already in the gym by definition, and uh, and a lot of more people uh, venture now in the gym for their for their health for their own good, and obviously you are also surrounded by bodybuilder, and uh, yeah, I think it's. Um, it's. Uh, I'm not surprised. A lot of people want to. Um, I don't know. I use like. I also obviously use a sort of metaphor, but uh, a lot of people love uh, you know Marvel movies stuff like that, and uh, people want to feel like um, it's a certain way to get out of their routine, life routine, and uh, and becoming. When you're on the gym floor, you might become someone else. I don't know. It's just. Uh, I tend to see things like that, and um, and also it's um, you do a good thing for yourself. Training anyway is uh, it's interesting, and as you know already, maybe uh, bodybuilders are very much specific and professional about their approach of training. So it's kind of li- uh, interesting to listen to them, uh, to talk about their motivation, the way they train, and all that, and. Uh, I see that like a good thing anyway because it does bring more professionalism and uh, about the physical activity, even if you are yourself not looking for a competition. But yeah, I'm not surprised that uh, people are more and more interesting women, especially recently on top of the men, like uh, over the last uh, 10, uh, 15 years. And uh, I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's um, it's part of the society we are living in. And um, we also want to be noticeable visually and, uh, you know, building muscle does help certainly to do that. So It is certainly a very uh, modern thing in terms of how it has blown up. And I think you can see that if you uh, take a wander around some of the profiles on Instagram, for example. Now, Olivia there was also talking very much about the focus of her training and her work with her coach for the upcoming fitness competition um how important is the relationship of the coach to the trainee when they're focusing on an event like that that's coming up and is it needed or can people do those kind of things on their own well uh it's crucial and uh at least that was the the feedback from uh uh from olivia during the interview and i do believe yeah it is important like a uh it's uh, you have to be very specific also the category uh have their own rules and you know you have to uh, you have to wait a certain weight uh, you have to uh, set an eye as well so uh there is also the question of the there is coaching posing as well the way you pose on stage is important so there is an artistic i would say side of it i think especially like olivia when you just start i think it's very hard to do it on your own really Maybe when you get used to after two free competition, maybe you can do it on your own. But um, even trainers or even people who want who are into bodybuilding need coach. You know, you can't. It's very hard to 
from sport, for me, it's obvious, but it's very hard. You never win on your own. You know, you always need a team around you. If it's not a rugby teammate next to you, for me, it will be a coach for you uh, during the competition. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I think the uh, the coaching uh, part of the, for this fitness competition are in, uh, very important, uh, central, really. So yeah. And how long do you think it takes, putting aside the uh, competition-specific element here, in your experience of training people, how long does it take to go from one body shape, which might be, for example, an average kind of body shape, to something that's more sculpted and designed? No, I don't think we can... I mean, my understanding is I don't think there is a a, a specific time or frame, you know, over the year, months, you, you can change the body. I think there is um, Olivia as a job, for example. It depends how many hours you have per day to focus on your competition and change that. It's kind of, uh, especially if you get into a uh, bigger, let's say, uh, size, it's huge. You know, you have to change. It takes a lot of months and years for your body to reach, uh, to, to reach that level and also to maintain without getting back to square one, you know, after after this so i don't i think it depends of your of the time you're gonna spend on it obviously and uh, you can go you can have a slow build up you know like uh, prepare a competition over a year or two but from what i heard around me i think uh, people generally take half a year to prepare a competition or maybe a year maximum but yeah because it's a lot of uh, different stage into this preparation and uh, and I think well, people can't really focus more than six months in ten so yeah. Uh, so I would say six months a year maximum, really. Yeah, it can be a, a pretty uh, all-consuming kind of life event uh, based upon the experience uh, that I've seen in the gym of the guys uh, in my case uh, who are looking to compete. Why do you think? fitness competitions are so popular now is it purely because there's so much more exposure for them in terms of social media or is there something much wider going on that's encouraging people men and women to think about taking part in fitness competitions well i mean there's i don't know if there's a bigger or smaller um, picture of that but it's as i say it's a visual impact thing you know like you you go on stage and uh, that's the representation you know that you go on stage the representation of yourself and there is price and uh, uh, i think it's yeah it's uh i had this moment when i was playing rugby and for a long time because i after all i play rugby like let's say 80 percent of my life uh, so far so I didn't I understand there is many ways to challenge yourself. So for me, it was rugby all along. For some of the people, people it could be uh, a fitness competition. Uh, why it is so popular? Because it's, again, uh, from my perception, it's uh, both there is a challenge, the adrenaline to prepare yourself. You know, uh, Olivia was mentioning the, the fake tan, the preparation, all of that you know, for the competition. And I understand that it's very similar uh, when she was talking, it reminded me of some preparation before rugby games, intensity, the build-up. It's, uh, I understand all that. I, I just say, I think it's so popular because it's, uh, it, we live in a visual world and 
it is a striking moment to go on stage and to show off your body, your work, you know. So I'm not surprised it's uh, so popular. And do you think the motivation is different for men and women? Olivia touched upon this uh, when she was talking about uh, the aesthetic emphasis on the women's uh, competition. And the thing that struck me was if you look at the way that men compete in these competitions, there's also a very, obviously a very strong aesthetic element there as well, as you uh, just pointed out with the posing, getting the posing right and practicing that as well. But for men and women in principle, do they compete and train for different reasons? Again, it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me, it's not really my world, but I, regarding the, competi the category you are competing in, Obviously, if you go on big category for the size, uh, it's a huge pressure because, you know, it's a lot of work to build, uh, to grow all this muscle and to, to reach a certain level uh, of size. And uh, then there is uh, the posing, bikini or fitness, uh, I think, category, which is um, a little bit more athletic, let's say, like uh, we're getting closer to maybe sports physique here. And uh, and I think the uh, yeah the motivation is com is is a bit different. I uh, again it's um, I will uh, ask people to get to listen to Olivia expand because she's the one going through all that. And uh, yeah, it's it's to to say that the motivation is important the mo in that kind of competition. The motivation is important for anything. You know, when you get into physical activity, if you are not motivated, uh, I don't think you can go quite far. And also it can be counterproductive because you're wasting time. You're likely to overtrain, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, the motivation is very important. Uh, I always say to the client, the training is first of all a mental effort and then obviously it's physical, but the mental, your mental is crucial. And for those people who train just to stay fit rather than competing in competitions, what are the principles or the lessons that they can learn from the experience of people such as Olivia that can help them in their workouts? Well, I think um, I will also talk from my own experience. I, what I learned from the bodybuilding approach is that uh, the technique is important. Uh, when you do a machine you need to understand why this machine is for, where is the muscle you target. So you learn how to be, um, you train uh, in a very spot on way, you're precise, you learn the details, okay? And that's make a, a big difference. And uh, so I guess uh, what you can, the principle you can bring from those competitions to your own training, it's just, again, the consistency, the efficiency, and you do that, all that is for yourself. I mean, you know, uh, people in competition, bodybuilding, sport, um, look at a, a tennis game with uh, Roger Federer, these sort of people, you know, they've got sometimes 15,000 people uh, watching the game around in the stadium. You can't, they are in their bubble, you can't disturb them. So uh, when I train, if the principle I, I keep in my mind every day is to, you do it for yourself, you're on your bubble, it's your time. Uh, yeah, it's um, the motivation, the, the focus is something you can bring as well from a competition to your daily training. 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say you can't just dial in a uh, successful training program. And so we just want to say a big thank you to uh, Olivia Trump for taking the time to sit down with us uh, and tell us about her experience. Or I say us is actually with my good friend, my good personal trainer friend, uh, Julian Bertherat here. And to wish you the very best of luck, Olivia, uh, with your training and for when you compete. And... um, Let us know how you get on, though I think uh, we're pretty confident that you are going to do absolutely fine. Good luck to Olivia for her competition, and uh, we will keep you posted, obviously. And um, thank you uh, for your time, Olivia. It was a great interview. Interested in popular culture, movies, music, and politics? Then check out ageofdivision.com to read reviews, retrospective, and commentary on the current crazy world we live in. Ageofdivision.com, when popular culture meets the world we live in. So every month on the podcast, as regular listeners, you lovely, lovely people will be aware, each month we take two questions out of the digital mailbag and we do our very best to answer those questions and perhaps share a little bit of advice uh, in the process. So, Julian, we uh, went through the little print-offs earlier on and we pulled out two to uh, talk about, and I do believe you are up first with the first question this month. Absolutely. Our first question this month is from Jude in Portsmouth, who was got in touch through our website and he asked the following question. What do you think of gym culture, Elsley or not? It put me off. I think it's too male and macho. So there you go. Uh, so Jude here, uh, down in Portsmouth in the south of England, uh, is asking whether gym culture um, is too macho and exclusive and I'm kind of putting words in your mouth now, Jude, <laughs> exclusive and uh, off-putting for people who don't enjoy that kind of culture. First of all, Julian, do you think that is true? And what should people do if that is an issue for them? I don't know if it's true, but you, I would say that uh, if Jude feel that way, It's certainly, you know, from uh, his expense, from your expense. And I, you know, I, um, don't get me wrong, it took me a little while from rugby and sport to get on with the gym um, environment. You know, it's, uh, it is true, it is different than uh, other places you might go. And um, I don't know about the macho things. I think, yes, yeah, the, yeah, there's a part of that. I mean, again, it's just a reflection of um, the society we live in. And uh, I guess being a man these days is men feel uh, the pressure. But it's very important to, um, with my job, for example, It's very important to have a, a laid-back attitude about that. It's my job is to help people to train properly and to provide motivation to them when they struggle with it and uh, and to be enthusiastic about the whole process. So I think it's, um, I would recommend, like, if you feel that way, just go to classes at, to the start, when you start, because it's a bit more like team uh, spirit, yeah? It, it is true that when you go on the gym floor, when you don't really know, when you don't have a plan, you kind of venture and... 
shadow round is a little bit and you might meet people who are quite into it so it's uh yeah it's, it might be a clash i understand that uh yeah it's um no just to keep i would say make some research online uh all that is free uh do some classes to start with eventually yeah maybe have a look with a personal trainer you got plenty of choice in london and uh yeah but choose someone who is kind of uh i don't know i would say yeah lay back don't to earth about it because for example for me it's a job and the job it's to listen to the client and i and it's not the first time i hear this kind of comment so i do my best to make the experience like uh well enjoyable and also that's the first step and the second step is to have a bit of ambition and to uh to share some mindset to the client eventually yes and uh there are the personal training uh sector is pretty developed now and there are personal trainers uh, in all major towns and cities really now who provide professional services not just obviously in london and to to terminate on a, on a subject there is some uh, statistic quite appealing uh that a lot of people so uh, sorry i forgot the 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 figure but it's there is a huge amount of people who join a gym for example in uk and basically within the first three four months are not come not coming back really or very rarely and it's quite a high percentage of these people who, who join and uh and from my experience uh where i work i think there is we got also this little issue which is people join and basically within the first few week month basically sort of gave up so you know it's uh it's it's something that gym in general can think about like why these people are not coming back and it's kind of um, so it's interesting to be as well yes uh, that is certainly true the statistics are pretty terrible on uh, people who are motivated to join and then drop out though i actually think part of that is to do with their own kind of responsibility and the time they take to research what they want to do and their own determination to meet goals to be honest with you i think it's quite easy to blame institutions or companies or cultures or whatever but um, i think it's equally important in terms of what people's uh, motivation is and their determination to push on through so i uh, hope that's helpful for you jude down there in portsmouth and um, that uh, you are motivated to uh, take part in a gym program so uh, moving on now the next question on my list here julian let's have a little old look because uh, it's my turn and uh, the next question is uh, from ben who's also contacted us via our website and he asks this question quote how long can i stop training for before i get into trouble by which i mean fat and i just want to step off the quote for a second uh, lovely listeners out there in podcast land to state that uh, when ben says fat here he's put it in capitals so it's kind of like a big fat trigger word now uh, back to the question i run i swim this is ben talking not me certainly not me and i do classes at the gym i don't do a lot of weights i don't want to get bulky and i'm going away for work for two months do i need to worry end of question uh, and i think what ben is referring to here in terms of stopping training is being away for two months and not doing anything while he's away i guess so um is that a problem if you go to the gym regularly if you take time off for a month or two months does it all basically turn to blubber julian well i don't think we had the 
a recent experience with the pandemic, you know, like months and months away from uh, gym. Years even. Years even, that's true. And uh, I think... Um, I think I don't, I don't know what you, you did during that time, Ben. Uh, there is, from my experience, uh, I saw on what's on the internet, uh, YouTube, a lot of content, free content for idea of workout you can do at home in a park with uh, almost no equipment. Um, all you need to do is to keep training every day, like half an hour. It's, it's finding a routine uh, that covers the whole body. Uh, you know, everybody can do squat, press up, lunges, jumping. Uh, this is, you don't need anything to do it. Um, I'm sure you can manage to buy some elastic band or even like small weight. Uh, because it is true that lifting weight uh, helps you to burn more calorie. But the idea is to remain active. Without too much weight, uh, the best way to do it is to do it every day and half an hour. And uh, yeah, and uh, if you go away in two months, I don't know, I'm sure, but you can run. You say you run, swim, I'm sure there's uh, a swimming pool around or the sea maybe. And uh, yeah, the idea is um, nothing to worry because your body we uh, get used to do that uh, take a couple of weeks off to settle down maybe but then after just get back into your routine train every day half an hour to make uh, to keep the machine the machine I mean your body warm and uh, and reactive and uh, I think you will be fine yes my understanding is it takes around six weeks if you train regularly for muscle mass to start to change and for your body to adjust to a new regime. So you have like, I guess, a month and a, a half if you want to step off of a gym program before you have to think about uh, perhaps uh, restarting it again. Though, to be honest with you, I understand where Ben is coming from with this because if I don't train for a week or, you know, heaven forbid, two weeks, uh, I start to uh, slip completely out of uh, my training kind of mindset uh, and I go through a kind a period of uh, worrying that uh, I'm not going to be able to pick up the pace again and possibly even abandoning it completely. So just to go back to what you were saying earlier, this is partly mental, isn't it, as well as physical? Yeah, and that's why also we can add on that topic that, uh, you know, we all over talk about, you know, exercising, there's on the gym, physical activity. Don't forget the, what I would call the, your mental strength, which is uh, using your brain in many different ways. So when you train, you do use your brain. Uh, you do use your brain when you go to the museum, look at painting, uh, go to see a movie, listen music, walking in a, outside, in the park, in the nature. You, you know, you smell things, you, uh, yeah, all that is important, read books. It's uh, a lot of people, uh, they train, they train, they train, uh, they take a month off, but they take a month off complete, which is, they shut down the brain physically. What you don't want to do is to shut down your brain when you take time off, you know. It's the worst thing is to basically take a month off, don't train, drink, stuff like that, because it's uh, it's just too much at once, you know, like uh, there's different, different things to do. Also, if you do that well, you will never get bored of training because basically people tend to have a sort of burnout when it comes to training because it, it means they train too much. And, uh, and again, I mean, 
I think I belong to this kind of generation who will never stop training, really. So what about you, Alan? Will you, will you ever stop training? No, I don't think so. But I think that is uh, partly because uh, I enjoy it. And if you tend to enjoy it, it's not so much of a discipline. It's just more your life, uh, really. So, Ben, uh, I hope that is uh, useful for you and that uh, it doesn't all fall apart for you uh, on the two months while you are away with work. And that, Julian, are our two questions for the month on the podcast. And if you do want to get in touch with us, ladies and gentlemen... You can do so via our website, which is twoguysonfitness.com, or via his website, julienbertorat.com. Or you can contact us through our social media, which means our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter. And we absolutely love it when you get in touch. So that's the end of another episode of the Two Guys on Fitness podcast. We'd like to say a big thank you to everybody who's taken the time to listen to myself and my good friend Julian Bertharat here, and also to our guest, Olivia Trump. Thank you, Olivia, for this uh, very insightful interview. It was indeed. And if you do want to listen to us, you can do so on the platform you're listening to us on right now, or indeed on any of the major podcast platforms. So until next month, we say have a wonderful time at the gym or whatever it is that you're doing between now and the next time you tune in and do tune in if you can to the two guys on fitness podcast and whatever you do, enjoy your workout.